This is Women's Tech Radio, a show on the Jupiter Broadcasting Network interviewing interesting women in technology, exploring their roles and how they're successful in technology careers. I'm Paige. And I'm Angela. So Angela, today we're going to dive into an awesome interview with Elizabeth, who self-identifies as a millennial youngin, um, and talk about her career, her transition, um, what she thinks about um, coming up in a culture where tech was okay, uh, and all sorts of different juicy topics. And before we get into the interview, I'd like to mention that you can support Women's Tech Radio by going to patreon.com forward slash today. You can subscribe for as little as $3 a month and support this awesome content. Go to patreon.com forward slash today. And we got started our interview by asking Elizabeth what she's up to in technology these days. I am a software engineer, and I was previously at a corporate company that did all the media stuff, and now I'm looking for new opportunities. Awesome. So what side of software engineering are you into? Which which of the, of the cornucopia? I do mostly front-end software engineering, so lots of HTML, CSS, mostly JavaScript, um, a lot of frameworks, or I hope to do many more. <laughs> How do you feel about like the exploding front-end framework? I, I would almost call it a problem. Like It seems like every day there's a new one and everybody wants to jump on the new hotness. Uh, yeah, I, was, I started in technology about three years ago. And I remember I was, you know, the, the common, I, I'm just entering into the industry problem is, which framework do you start out with? And I, I thought Python, Python back then was like, that was the jam. And it's not to say it's not now, but now everything is in JavaScript. And so you can you can work in front end and back end. And, you know, I don't need to learn another language and its intricacies. So I'm going to say JavaScript's the best. Uh, <laughs> As of and that's that's a 2015 opinion. Okay. I'm going to hold you to that in five years. All right. <laughs> I'm an advocate the same way. I run a JavaScript jam night, I guess, every week for women who code. And the reason that I chose JavaScript is because it is so agnostic in the stack. Like you really can like go from node all the way out to front end basic JavaScript and jQuery and Angular. And like, it's, it's a, I think a great choice for a first language, although it's, you know, it's not as pretty or as easy to read as like a Ruby or a Python. It's, it's so practical. It is. And there's, um, there's so many, there's so many things that are happening with it. The New York City JavaScript community has just exploded over the past year. There's um, there's Brooklyn JS and there's a plethora of meetups that are just focused on JavaScript. So, and uh, what is it? There's all these like schmancy type of developers coming up. So there's the Node, if you just practice Node.js, there's the Node.js engineer that I've seen a copious amount of job openings for. Yeah, yeah, it's really starting to blow up. Although it's interesting because everyone's like, we want a five-year experience Node.js engineer. And I'm like, <laughs> are you sure you understand what you're asking for there? <laughs> like time-traveling Node engineers? Well, it's all open source. So, yeah, they, they, they'll, they'll finagle those dates. Yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's very cool. Um, so you just, you mentioned that you've only been doing this for three years. So how did you get into it? And uh, kind of, yeah, t tell me about your journey there. Yeah, I'm I'm a self-proclaimed youngling and about 3 years ago I got accepted into a program for Google and so Google flew me out there for 3 weeks and 
talked to me about computer science and it was called Google's computer science, computer science summer seminar. So like their version of incorporating all the students into what they do and into the application and, um, and it was Google. And so it was an amazing experience. My first time out in Mountain View, if not California. And I, I was just enamored with technology afterwards, uh, as you would be with so many pretty colors and all those <laughs> octobikes. <laughs> so that was, that was the original start. And then I went into college for computer science and, um, and unfortunately, college for me wasn't the best experience. It it wasn't the right environment or the culture. And I think that just has to do more with the school that I chose. And and I didn't know what I wanted out of a college. So it was very um it was a very unfulfilling experience. But then I dropped out about a year and a half ago and I joined Time Inc. as an intern. And that was that was a really good experience being involved in corporate and being involved in the media, again, total 180s from what I had ever experienced in the past. Um, and after I was an intern, I was onboarded full-time, working as a mobile developer and then a developer evangelist and then just like a general software engineer. So I've gone through a couple of iterations there. And now I'm now I've got a little bit of time to relax, which is which is uh so well needed. Mm-hmm. I'm like, uh, I'm currently binging on The Good Wife and it, you know, <laughs> haven't binged on a show in a while now. So I'm really happy to just kick back this weekend. Sounds like, sounds like you've been through the, the gamut of, of tech already so quickly. So it sounds like you touched on a lot of different things. Is it, what was kind of like the hardest part for you, like getting into that and stepping into that tech culture as a, what did you call yourself? A youngling, I think. I <laughs> a youngling, a millennial. Um, the hardest part, uh, I think it's very easy, especially when when you're young and especially when you don't know something about the subject to be like, oh yeah, you know what? I'll just apply the, all those TED Talks say that, you know, if you do a hundred hours in it, you'll, you'll be 80% of the way there. Or like there's a couple of stats on that. And I think with technology, it's really easy to fool yourself, especially when you don't, when you haven't delved into its guts, mm -hmm. that to fool yourself into convincing yourself that you're you're quite good at it. Like, hey, it's only going to take 100 hours to learn JavaScript. Wouldn't that, isn't that the dream? That's really interesting because, yeah, like overconfidence isn't a thing that I really think that women have in the tech field, but I could totally see where you're coming from with that. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I, like every time I think about learning a different language, I, I, I'm i like, oh, you know what? I'll just spend 10 hours on Code Academy or <laughs> or like delve into a framework and I'll understand like 80% of it. Um, and unfortunately, that's never worked. But yeah. I just, I, I think the probably, probably it's more to fool myself into just getting started. Mm -hmm. And then those 10 hours become 100, which becomes 1,000. And then I'm like... And then I'm an engineer that says, oh, I can do this thing, but I also know that I can't do, there's so much more to this field, right? Mm -hmm. You know what you don't know. Right. Yes, that is the the eternal problem is it? the more you know, the more you know you don't know. I actually, I kind of, uh, I think it is interesting though. I think as the programming journey goes on, that 80% in 10 hours really does start to happen. Um, like where 
you kind of have, but it only happens if you've delved in deep enough somewhere mm -hmm. um, where like you really understand the concepts behind what you're doing as opposed to just how to do it. Like, right. Um, you know, when I pick up a new framework now, I know the things to look for. I know how to look for like, well, how are we handling flow? How are we handling IO? All these different things. And I can just really research like how that framework does it or how that language does it. And, um, and it really does. I do get that. 80% in 10 hours, but then that last 20% is like 10,000 hours. Right. Uh, yeah. And, uh, and to be, I, I haven't gotten my 10,000 hours of programming yet. So it's, so I still don't know what to look for as a junior programmer. So I'm just, I falsely uh, say to myself that I can do something very quickly and I, I'm still, I'm still getting there. I, it was given wise advice to me when I first started working in tech was, um, take your gut instinct for how long something is going to take and then if you feel really really confident that it's going to take that long multiply by three yeah <laughs> and if any if you feel kind of confident that that's how long it's going to take probably multiply by five <laughs> wow and so uh, just keep multiplying it and no, then pretty much yeah because yeah uh, i mean especially it, it, as much as we don't have overconfidence in like the things that we can do i think a lot of times humans are really good at being overconfident with how fast we can do things yeah especially as computer geeks because we're like we're so in such a fast culture, a fast thing. Like the computer is fast. I must be fast. Like mm -hmm. everything is quick. You know what? I was having a really big problem with estimation of projects. And I would be like, oh, you know what? I'd, I'll complete this in two days. And I'd, it would end up taking 10 days. So uh, my just general rule of thumb is exactly that. Just multiply whatever my estimation is by five. And then and then I, I'm I'm hoping for the day, hopefully in the next couple of years, that it will actually be my estimation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I have to say that I don't think even for myself that I could, could do good estimations until I stepped back from programming and did a, a bunch of project management where I had to really sit down and break down things and charge people for things and like, oh, now I kind of really get. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't so much that my skill caught up in programming as my skill caught up in estimation. Right. So that was interesting. Interesting, yeah. That's really interesting that it would have to... Um, the inclusion of a different field, if not a different industry entirely, right. what makes you understand this, this like archaic understand um, estimation tools. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think, uh, I don't know, it's always like, I love, I love my journey and I love talking to a lot of people like you who've had kind of non-traditional tech journeys, because I think we do bring skills to the table that are that kind of crossover skills, like the the reason that I know estimation is more from my time, um, you know, in Geek Squad or whatever, like doing those sorts of tasks, I have a better understanding of that. Or like the fact that I run a volunteer group is actually why I can do project management. It's not from tech. And, mm -hmm. you know, your crossover skills are as important, if not more important. You know what, Paige, as you're saying this, I, I, I told you beforehand, I just moderated a panel on Tuesday and the panel's title was Non-Traditional Paths Through Technology. And it was focused on these four women that had different expectations, if not different career ambitions, and then just found themselves in technology. And, and uh, one of them is working as like as a researcher and another is delving into hardware. Uh, a third is is organizing recurse center. So like these different paths into technology, but technology doesn't necessarily mean that you're a software engineer. And so it was, uh, as you're speaking to this non-traditional route, 
Um, I'm also a huge believer that you don't just need to go to a boot camp and learn all the things. You can become a research. Uh, what is it? There's so many UX research positions nowadays that that are open. Yeah. So so that whole that whole concept of you know you don't just need to make like a total jump, a total 180. You you can use your skills from whatever other lifetimes and you're actually going to be a lot more valuable than if you had just started fresh. Yeah. And we, we've actually talked to a couple guests too, where they've been in companies that are tech companies um, and they've transitioned to development inside the company. So, you know, if you're interested in technology, you're not sure if development is for you. There are a lot of other roles, you know, everything from community evangelists, you know, uh, data research, like all these different things, depending on the kind of background you have, um, can be a bridge in, mm-hmm. and then you can get exposed to the culture and then, once you're inside the company, um, especially a lot of companies these days are, are looking for internal growth because training and hiring employees is so expensive that, yeah, they want to grow the ones they have a lot. Yeah. I Oh, my gosh. I'm such a big believer in like advocating for talent as well as keeping your talent. And if they would like to try something, that's such an awesome way to expose them to a different culture, a different industry, as well as, you know, keep them within the company and, you know, it attain those skill sets. So uh, as a millennial um, and kind of the up and coming generation in that stuff, um, what do you think it takes for a company to take you? Because one of the biggest problems that we're having in technology that, that I'm seeing and I'm, I'm trying to really react to is that we're getting a lot of women in technology, but we're, we're losing them just as fast, which is, is hard. So, so what would it take for a company to keep you hooked? So actually, the Women Who Code New York City Network just had its first conference a couple, uh, if not a month ago, and we were focusing on women uh, approaching, if not at mid-career. And so I'm sure you know the statistic is that 57% of women in mid, in technology that are at mid-career leave the industry. And so it was it's just this awful problem of like we're... we're even the women that we are attracting into technology are leaving and yet we're just packing more into the funnel and not thinking about how to keep them. Um, For millennials, I would have to say what a difficult question that is (laughs) (laughs) because uh, myself, I'm so, I'm like, I'm like constantly chasing after different butterflies. And so whichever one is the prettier one, like that's the one I'm going to go to. Also, we have this, kind of awful uh, structure nowadays that, you know, if another company offers me like a promotion, even if I have the same skill set and like I am, I am able, I am in the opportunity and position to take it because of how booming the technology industry is. So I think that's, that's the way like most people are getting to manager VP CEO founder levels without having quote paid their dues like myself included absolutely so I think uh part of what Paige wanted to know was what is pretty is 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 it the job is it the company is it the benefits is it um you know the type of management style yeah culture what is it what is prettier to you or is it just like better than what you currently have and and it could be any of the above I was kind of spoiled in the sense that I had an amazing mentor who guided me at Time Inc. And then, um, and then fantastically, I had another couple that 
another couple mentors that also joined that group. And so I'm a core believer that a mentor is is one of the things that is going to keep me at a company that would just keep me grounded. Um, And another thing that I believe is very important is so now that you're able to think three months down the line with your mentor, well, any little intricacies as well as microaggressions that you happen to come across, any problems that you have, which is natural in any job, you should be able to rant to someone about. And so if if there's no if there's no person near you or that you've been introduced to that is at your skill level, that is at your experience level, that is probably at your age level as well, mm-hmm. I'm going to call that person an informal rant partner. Like mm-hmm. if there's not someone for you to rant to and if there's not someone to guide you towards your goals, mm-hmm. that's that's probably not going to be a company that you're able to vent as well as grow in. Yeah, a buddy system. Mm-hmm. Buddy system, yep. I, I love that of all the things you could have said, you said people. Like, I think that that's I think that's really important. And I think it's it's extra important to our generation, your generation. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a little older. It's OK. Um, <laughs> just yeah. a couple of years. Yeah, just a couple. Of, uh, I would definitely not identify as a millennial, but uh, that's OK. Would I? I don't think I no, am. I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think that's so either. OK. Um, but <laughs> so, the, okay. so the mentorship and, and it's actually some of the, the feedback that I've been giving and getting with a lot of the women's groups that I'm working with, with trying to figure out this this retention problem is like, how do we mentor and, and why especially do we have such resistance? And I should ask this. Why do we have such resistance in women from mentoring? And uh, Elizabeth, were any of your mentors women? All three were. Awesome. That is great. Yeah. Um, I have been... Uh, I, I don't want to... I, wanna, I don't want to use the word blessed, but I've been very fortunate to, to have one mentor that was absolutely phenomenal. And then she introduced me to two others that were also like amazing and very um I was I don't want to say high up the chain, but it was a different experience. Um it was a different experience that I had ever seen before. They weren't software engineers, they were managers, if not higher. Yeah. And and that is definitely something is I think looking outside your role can be very fulfilling. Um it might not be what you need as like a code mentor, but I think in some ways those are easier to, you know, you can kind of poke any developer and be like, hey, can you answer this question? And, and most developers are, are pretty cool with answering questions. And But like getting that mentorship relationship is, uh, I don't know, it's it can be outside your field and that's okay. I'm also going to say that like you can't force it. Um, mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm calling them mentors, but I also, I'm not sure if they know that they've been mentors to me. <laughs> right. Or, or like it's not a, oh, you are my mentor. You have to meet me every three months at uh, t- and to talk to me about my goals for one hour. That's not forcing that sort of relationship. Sure. But that's natural. Like my my son is in first grade and he carry he has a, a student in the in his current class that was in his last year's class that he calls his BFF. But <laughs> that kid that my son is not his BFF. Yeah. You know, like right. it's just it's a natural it's a very natural. Yeah. And I think informal mentorship is probably um a lot more comfortable especially mm-hmm. for women I have found. Um, men seem to be more comfortable in it because it's sort of that like hierarchical relationship that their hormones demand. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but we like a much more like, hey, we're just coffee buddies, and I look up to you so much. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> right. Yeah, but um, yeah. So that's that's been kind of my journey lately. Is how do how do we encourage mentorship? Oh, so I will ask you this question: Do you have anyone you're mentoring? I don't. Um, 
I don't think at this level I have a lot of experience to give, unfortunately. Maybe that's just like imposter syndrome talking. Yeah, I would say so. so. I will totally call you out and say that you should you should totally be an informal mentor even. And it sounds like you participate in Women Who Code. Yeah. Um, and I do. I uh, co-founded the New York City Network a year and a half ago. So, me, you know what? I've also never gotten the... Uh, no one has ever came up to me and been like, let's... I want to make our coffee dates more consistent and for my benefit. Mm-hmm. I actually... So, I kind of fell into the mentor role as, as I started Women Who Code, really, in Portland. Yeah. Um, and in some ways, it actually was... I kind of pushed it a little bit with some people and it's been very rewarding for both of us where I just saw some young people with some young women with very high potential levels and I and I saw them struggling and I said, "You know, hey, let's let's talk. Let's." And we don't necessarily have a timetable where we talk every X often, but it was it was definitely me opening the door because I think there's a lot of fear um and I think this is this is cross gender. Uh, it doesn't really matter, but there's a lot of fear of of asking for that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um and you know, I I found someone I resonated with and I said, you know, let's, let's do this. Let's get your career going. Let's, let's make, make the moves that you need. Mm-hmm. So I encourage you to look for someone. I will, you know, and then the next time I talk to you or then the, the first time that I come up to Portland, that will be my goal. Awesome. Yeah. Yes, totally. Good. We will jam. Yeah. And I think, I think that's a, a real benefit to being involved in, in the network, like a, a network like Women Who Code where, mm-hmm. you know, um, I do believe a lot that everybody should have a mentor a peer and a mentee. Like, I mm-hmm. think it's a, it's a very healthy thing professionally and personally in a lot of ways. Um, I need to add that to my bucket list, I guess. <laughs> you should, you should. I have some recommendations. Actually, I need, yeah, I do need to get involved with uh, the women who code. And once I, once I can have enough time, <laughs> um, you know, I like to call that magical free time. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, it's like a, a designer who's also a developer. Yeah. Magical free time. Awesome. Elizabeth, this has been really fun. Um, I just had probably one more question for you. If you could look back and give yourself uh, your, what, for your younger self advice, what would you say? You know, Paige, it's really funny that you uh, that you say this because I have a 12-year-old's brother. And so that's actually a question I think about a lot. Ah, like um, how you'd help him? Yeah, how I would help him. Um, what would I do better mm-hmm. if I could, if I was, if I was twelve again? Um, what information can I in, impart onto him, and what will he actually understand? And so, the one that I keep coming back to is, um, is listening to other people, and most importantly, having empathy for them and their situation, uh, and and. It's really hard, I think. It's it's really hard to have empathy when you haven't experienced much, me included. Like, I don't think I've experienced much of the world, uh, but but it but being exposed to those sorts of different people and understanding what they're going through um, makes you a lot more aware of the details that they portray in in real life and maybe why they're acting a little bit weird that day, you know, or how it all adds up into us being like humans and people and really great people. So empathy is going to be my my winner answer. Okay. I like that. I like how broad that is. What is it? There's a quote and I was going to look it up, but I, don't, I couldn't do it fast enough. But there's a, uh, who is it? And they say essentially um, 
be kind because we all have a great and terrible mur- burden that nobody is aware of kind of thing. And I, I like to move through the world with that. I did have one more question that I thought of that I think was really important. Sorry. And she's excited about it. <laughs> I am. Um, so you're probably one of the youngest guests that we've had on the podcast. And I was wondering if growing up you felt like you could just do tech, um, like it was no big deal. Or if you did still feel that kind of like it's for boys kind of feel. Um, Paige, I actually went to a science and technical high school. So you cheated. Uh, <laughs> so it was never, it was never just a, it was never a gender thing. Um, it was a, it was a who can get the best grade in the class kind of thing. And who, therefore who has to study the most for that. Uh, but I, I didn't grow up thinking I would be in technology at all. I thought I would my father was a mechanical engineer and so I thought I would go to school for mechanical engineering and like work at a job for five to ten years and like switch around but technology and and apparently Google had different other paths. (laughs) (laughs) Well I mean and computer engineering is still engineering right? If you say so. Yeah well it's it's a little different (laughs) and front end and stuff is it definitely is different but uh, it's the same mental mind path I think but I am I'm really encouraged to hear that you got to you looked at your dad's career and, and your, your dad's career and said, I could do that. No problem. I think uh, that it gives me a lot of hope for where we're going. Yeah. My, uh, my dad was a, like a serial entrepreneur and a mechanical engineer and like an all, all around awesome man. And then my mom was, is a, uh, my mom has a PhD in pharmacology and like a plethora of other things. So I was, I had no shortage of ambition to, to look up to. Thank you for listening to this episode of Women's Tech Radio. Remember, you can find a full transcript of the show over at jupiterbroadcasting.com in the show notes. You can also go to the contact form at jupiterbroadcasting.com. Be sure to select Women's Tech Radio as the drop-down show. And you can add us on any RSS feed reader, or you can get us on iTunes. If you happen to have us on iTunes, please go ahead and leave us a review. We'd love to hear what you think of the show. You can also find us on Twitter at HeyWTR. Tweet us, and we'd love to hear what you think.